The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Merry Christmas. I know it's a few days away since the actual Christmas Day, but this is our Christmas service here at ICC, and so we want to welcome all of you, especially those of you who are visiting us for the first time, really want to welcome you here to our uh, Sunday Christmas service. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer, and then we will look into God's word together. Father, we pray that the joy of Christmas really would be within our hearts to rise up and to Um, cause us to know even the reason for why this season is so special. So we pray that it would be rooted in the truth of your word, in the knowledge of the story of Christmas that you so loved us, that you gave us your one and only son. And so may you open our hearts to that message this day as we celebrate what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what are the feelings that are stirred in your heart Uh, Whenever this Christmas season rolls around, Uh, the Christmas holiday, I think, means so many different things to so many different people. Uh, Some of us love this time of year with all the holiday dinners with loved ones, Christmas carols playing everywhere you go, uh, shopping for gifts for your friends and family, uh, maybe even decorating the Christmas tree and whatever other traditions that your family may have. But I also suspect that some of you may have the opposite reaction. Uh, You're doing everything you can to sort of get through this season. Uh, You avoid certain streets where you know the shopping centers are because of all the traffic. Uh, You stress out over hosting family for these dinners. You stress out because of mounting credit card debt, because of all the added expenses that are incurred during the season. And for some of you, Christmas may even be a painful reminder of what you've lost, of what's been broken, especially when you compare your life to others who seem to have so much more to celebrate than you may feel you have. Well, whatever emotions may be stirred by all of the cultural trappings of Christmas, my prayer is that you'll find the real reason to celebrate Because of the true message of Christmas, that God gave his only son, Jesus, to enter our world as a child so that he could die for you and me. The first week of Advent, we looked at how the Christmas message is a message of hope because it's a story of God faithfully keeping his promises to us that even after over a thousand years, he fulfilled that promise to give a savior to his people, despite even their unfaithfulness of turning their back on God, God never turned his back on us. We also looked in the second message of Advent on this idea that the message of Christmas is also a message of joy. And we marvel at the wonder that the Savior that was promised to the world would turn out to be none other than God's only Son, God himself, and that Jesus would endure everything that you and I suffer in this world in order to identify with our own struggles. And then last week, Pastor Peter preached on the Christmas message as the message of peace, 
How Jesus himself became the peace offering to bring us peace with God in our broken relationship with God that was healed by what Jesus did on the cross. And it's only when we have received that peace and forgiveness from God that we can seek peace and forgiveness with others as uh, Ryan testified so powerfully in the testimony that he shared last week as well. Well, for our final message for this Christmas service in this Advent series, I want to unpack how the Christmas message is a message of love, of love. As we've already looked at in this service, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The message of the gospel is that God was not obligated to give us his son. There was nothing that required him to do so, but that he gave his son willingly. And the motivation of that gift of his son was nothing less than his love for us. Um, let me see if I could try to illustrate like this. I mean, Despite multiple attempts, I have never been able to get into Korean dramas, okay? I suspect that many of you are fans of it. I have tried on multiple occasions and have just, I don't know, maybe it's because I grew up in America. Maybe I am too Americanized, but I have just never connected with any of them. I've always found them to be kind of corny and melodramatic. Uh, But I recently started watching this Korean drama on Netflix called When the Camellia Blooms, okay? And I, any of you been watching or have watched it? Maybe a few of you? Okay. And I hate to admit it, but I've kind of gotten into it, all right? <laughs> all right. And I think one of the reasons is because there are, I find so many echoes of the gospel in this story. It's the story of a woman who has been orphaned as a child when she's seven or eight years old. And so she grows up as a child, as an orphan, and then as a young adult, she is abandoned by her boyfriend, who leaves her in order to pursue a professional baseball career. And she finds out that she is pregnant, and so she ends up raising her son as a single mother. And she will eventually settle in this rural village, where she scrapes by a meager living by running this bar. And the local men objectify her. And the local women distrust and resent her. And so all she has known her entire life is abandonment and rejection and judgment from others. And all of that will change one day when she meets a guy who just falls head over heels in love with her. But she is not looking for a relationship. And so she does everything she can to push him away. But no matter how hard she tries to reject him, he refuses to give up. He is just tenacious. And so he just keeps pursuing her. Everyone who has mattered in her life has hurt her. And so in order to protect herself from any more heartbreak, she refuses to open her heart to him. She actually tells him bluntly, I don't want you. And then she says, the reason why I don't want you is because 
you know all of the ugly and embarrassing details of my past. And so she says to him this, I will always be someone that you pity in your eyes. And so she says to him this very hurtful thing. She says, I want another guy. I want a guy that knows nothing about my past so that with this guy, I can live a fantasy. I can live a lie. But at least it'll be my lie and we can have a happy life where I don't have to be reminded daily of my embarrassing past. But he replies to her, even if I try to let you go, I can't. I will keep coming back for you because I am hopelessly in love with you. She doesn't actually know the date of her real birthday. And so what had happened was when she was dropped off at the orphanage by her mother, the workers at that orphanage just assigned the day that she arrived to be her birth date. And so that's the date that she celebrates then as an adult for her birthday. And so on that assigned birthday, he fills her backyard with rose petals and candles and leaves her a cake and a card. And on the card, he writes, if you don't know your birthday, every day can be your birthday. I will make every day worth celebrating. Sweet, right? That's the corniness of (laughs) Korean drama, all right? And she bursts into tears as she reads this card, and she cries out, who am I? that he is doing all this for me. I always walk with my head down, but he keeps making me lift my head up. He makes me feel like I am worth something. He always tells me I'm important and precious. And he's starting to make me believe that it's true. Everyone that has been in her life only sees her as someone to be used or someone to be pitied. But this guy alone can see her through the eyes of love. And that love begins to transform her. Centuries before the first Christmas would take place, the prophet Hosea was told by God to take for himself a wife named Gomer who would not be faithful to him. And that marriage would become a living illustration to Israel of their unfaithfulness to their God. And despite Gomer's unfaithfulness, God commands Hosea to find her and take her back home and show her love once again. And so Hosea must suffer the humiliation of searching for his wife and bringing her back home. She even got herself into some kind of situation. We're not really sure what happened, but Hosea must now redeem her for the price of 15 shekels of silver in order to bring her back home because of some kind of indebtedness that she had gotten herself into. And much of the book of Hosea is filled with God's warnings and judgment because the Israelites had turned their back on God and worshiped other gods. But scattered throughout this book are these messages of God's undying love and commitment to his people, despite the fact that they have rejected him. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14 to 16 says, Therefore I am now going to allure her. 
I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. In other words, what God is saying is, despite your great unfaithfulness to me, I renew my commitment to you like a husband renewing his wedding vows to his wife. I will never leave you till death do us part. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8 through 9 says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like the Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. It almost makes us a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? What tender and intimate language that God uses to describe the depth of his love for his people, despite what they have done to him. C.S. Lewis writes this about love. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. What Lewis is saying is something so vital about the essence of love because what Lewis is saying is true love cannot be forced. It cannot be coerced. It must be given freely and willingly. And that is why love requires vulnerability because it gives the other person the freedom to choose not to love us, to reject our love. And what is so amazing about what the Bible tells us about God's love is this, is that God, in the fact that he is all-powerful, doesn't coerce us into loving him. He willingly places himself into a position of vulnerability by seeking our love willingly. He willingly gives us his love, but then willingly invites us to love him back with the full ability to reject that love if we so choose. That is what's so amazing about the love of God. For many years, God would use prophets and messengers like Hosea to reveal himself, to let people know his heart and understand how he feels toward us. And as powerful and as moving as these messages from these prophets may be, the problem is that they are all fragmentary. They're all incomplete in what they reveal about God. Even when we take all of the prophets and all of the writings of the Old Testament together, they don't give us a complete picture of God. 
That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 3, says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he has provided purification for sins He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So we get all of these pictures in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel seeing a great river flowing out of the temple, and everything that this river touches springs forth into life. Or Isaiah sees these visions of a suffering servant who will go through so much pain in order to redeem his people. Or we even look at the story of Hosea and his marriage to this unfaithful wife. And he must redeem her. And in all of these things, the problem is they were not fulfilled in the days of the prophets. And so one of the things we can say is this. Jesus is the final word of God because he is the fulfillment of every previous word spoken by God. After Jesus would rise from the dead, he would tell two of his disciples that every single prophecy and promise in the Bible pointed to him, that he was the fulfillment of everything. And so that river that Ezekiel saw was a picture of the abundant life that Jesus had come to give. The suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about would be none other than Jesus himself. And Hosea redeeming his wife for 15 shekels of silver pointed to Jesus redeeming our lives through his own sacrifice on the cross. But the Bible also tells us this, is that Jesus is the final word of God because he is the perfect representation of God. He is the perfect representation of God. In other words, when Jesus came into our world, he didn't just give us word pictures or metaphors of what God is like. He perfectly represented God in every way because he himself is God. That's why in John chapter 14, verse 69, we see this exchange with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What Jesus argued to Philip is that if you want to know what God, our Heavenly Father, is like, you don't have to look any further than me. Because I am the perfect representation of what God, our Heavenly Father, is like. What Jesus offers to us is this. Whatever confusion that you have about this God that you read in the Old Testament, and your struggle to understand what he is like, what Jesus is saying is just look at me. Because you will know everything about the Father that you need to know by looking at my life. That's why in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The last point about this that I want to make is this, that above all, Jesus perfectly represented God's love and grace for us. The final days of Jesus' life on earth, John's gospel records this event that happened. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, what John is saying, that everything that Jesus did for the disciples could be summarized by the singular word, love. Everything he did was an expression of his love. And right after that statement, I think many of you know what happened. Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. And this wasn't a warm, tender hallmark moment. The disciples were actually deeply disturbed by this. They were scandalized by it. Because this was a job that was considered so utterly unpleasant that only the lowest of servants were forced to do this in a household. But Jesus would do this as their teacher to show them God's heart of love for them. As we go through life, what we discover is then just about every organization, in every community, there is a clear hierarchy, a clear pecking order. And it's always good to be on the top of that ladder, isn't it? Because when you're on top of that ladder, you don't have to regard the people below you. You get used to people serving you not the other way around. It's one of the privileges of status, of authority, is that everyone serves you. You don't have to really serve anyone. I shared this story some years back, but when I was a medical student, I ran into this really difficult situation where I felt this medical resident that was above me in my team was really uh, mistreating me. felt really like it was kind of an abusive relationship. And so I went to the department head, the doctor that was in charge of the entire department. And I filed a complaint with him and reported the things that this this doctor in training was doing. And I realized within minutes of this meeting with this doctor that this guy was not going to lift a finger to help me. And what I was realizing, he was telling me in so many words is, His relationship with these resident doctors is far more important to him as the chairman of that department than the situation of one lowly medical student. And so I was basically sent out of his office being told, you got to figure that one out on your own. I can't really help you. I just felt so horrible that day leaving his office. In those days of mine when I was working as a missionary, I had an opportunity to try to meet with different Uh, members of parliament in Kenya to try to secure funding from the government for our mission hospital. And there were these days when I would go to Nairobi and literally wait hours to try to meet with one member of parliament. You're just sitting in this room hoping he's going to call your name. And then some dignitary comes in with no appointment and he goes straight into the room and you're told, come back tomorrow. And talk about feeling low. You realize that as a missionary, you are on the bottom rung of this ladder. You are like a beggar begging for scraps from this politician. 
Because in his world, you just don't matter to him. You just don't count. And the truth is, this is how the world operates. And so it would only be natural to think that God, who holds more power and status than any of us, would be the most unapproachable and uncaring being in the universe. And who could fault you for that logic? Because everything that we experience in life feels that way. But when Jesus came into our world, he shattered all of those illusions about what God is like. And all four Gospels would record over and over again that Jesus took notice of the most forgotten and insignificant people in society. The beggars, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the ones that no one even noticed in a crowd, Jesus would notice and he would stop and he would help them. When his disciples wanted to chase the children away and even scolded the mothers for being so brash as to bring their children to Jesus, Jesus instead rebuked his disciples and he welcomed these little children with open arms into his presence. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch the untouchable, the sick, the dying, the outcast, even the leper who may not have had experienced human touch in years of their life. And this is the great and amazing message of the Bible is that God revealed the depth of his love for us by giving us his son to show us how much he loves us. First John chapter 4, verse 8 to 10 says this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the good news of Christmas, is that God so loved this world that he gave us his son to become a sacrifice for your sin and mine, that if we would believe in him, we could have eternal life. Let's pray. As we uh, celebrate another Christmas, I suspect that there are a lot of emotions that get stirred up for us. And as I shared at the very beginning of the message, I think if we're very honest, for some of us, it's this pressure of the holiday to be happy when we're struggling to find things to be happy about. But I think this Christmas holiday offers us a genuine hope for that joy to be real. And it's because of the message of Christmas. Not all of the trappings of the cultural Christmas that just sort of pressure us to be happy. But it's this message that God so loved us that he gave us his son. And whatever fears and doubts that you have about the nature of God, when Jesus 2,000 years ago became a man and entered our world, he kind of cleared away the fog of all of our misconceptions of God. And in the humble form of a servant, he showed us the true nature of God by showing us how loving and thoughtful and caring 
and giving and serving he would be. And that is the God that is still alive in our world today and wants to minister to you and love you. So maybe even on this Christmas celebration, could I even invite you to open up your heart to him and let Jesus become the leader of your life, Lord over you, and he can lead you into that abundant life that all of you crave. And all he simply asks is that we would confess our sins and acknowledge our failures and our weakness and our inability to save ourselves. And to, by faith, trust in his gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And the fact that he died on a cross for your sins and mine so that as we repent our sins and confess that we can know his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. Would you just pray for a couple of minutes as we think about the real meaning of Christmas and the hope that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ? And then our worship team will close us in just a couple songs of clothing, closing. Let's pray.